Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes, the premier podcast on hand and upper extremity rehabilitation. As a worldwide educator and developer of best-in-class hand therapy content, Susan Weiss, occupational therapist and certified hand therapist, brings you an array of hand therapy specialists, hand care solutions, and more. Welcome everyone to Hand Therapy Heroes. I'm Susan Weiss, the founder of Exploring Hand Therapy and LiveConferences.com. And I'm delighted to continue sharing with you Hand Therapy Heroes. Today we have Joanne Keller, and she owns two businesses and thrives off being an entrepreneur. She provides mentoring and coaching for hand therapists, practice owners, entrepreneurs, and all kinds of leaders in the industry. Additionally, she owns Hands for Living, a private specialized hand therapy practice, which is north of Seattle, Washington. Joanne has consistently been recognized as a leader in hand therapy. Her advocacy efforts have impacted state legislation for occupational therapy three different times in two states. And she's also a wonderful advocate for her patients. So today, we're going to take a peek into her journey and be inspired with her brilliant energy. So Joanne, can you tell us how you got into hand and upper extremity rehabilitation? Great. I just want to say thank you for inviting me to be on today. Um, And hand and upper extremity has become uh, pretty much the bulk of what I do, but it wasn't always that way. Um, I grew up in a, a small town uh, in, Minis- in rural Minnesota on a hobby farm. I'm, I won't uh, bore you with the entire details of my personal history, um, but now I live just north of Seattle. Um, I was got interested in occupational therapy when I volunteered with a horseback riding program for kids with disabilities. I'm a rider and a horse person and um, have... Uh, always enjoyed horses and saw a demonstration by a horseback riding program for kids with disabilities. So that was my initial exposure to OT. Um, I learned about hand therapy in school. Um, My interest was piqued. I had a faculty member who was a certified hand therapist and I thought she was awesome. And she was very smart and knew all kinds of things that I was curious about. Uh, So that was sort of my initial, hmm, I kind of like hand therapy. I thought I would be in pediatrics or spinal cord injuries. That was my initial interest. Um, When I was in school, I worked as an aide um, in, I went to school at Washington University in St. Louis, and I worked at St. Louis Regional Medical Center, which I don't believe exists anymore, um, but was exposed to hand therapy there. Um, I was also exposed to the inner city of St. Louis. Um, which was a big change for the farm kid from very white (laughs) rural Minnesota. (laughs) So that was a wonderful experience. Um, And that was sort of my first time seeing hand therapy in action. Mm -hmm. Uh, They let me make a splint or an orthosis for one of the patients under guidance of the CHT there. Um, And the guy came back and was completely better. And I was like, a week later, I was like, this is awesome. I get to make these cool things and then people get better. It was the best. (laughs) Now I know not everybody gets better that fast. (laughs) It was a unique situation, (laughs) but um, I really enjoyed the um, 
making custom orthoses and uh, splints that enjoyed the thermoplastics and the creativity, enjoyed the patients. So I um, finished school. I did not have a field work in hand therapy, but sort of had it on my list of things that I was interested in. I was more interested in lo location than okay. specific practice. I wanted to be in Colorado. <laughs> so I took a job in Southern Colorado with an acute care hospital. And I knew they had hand therapy. That wasn't what I was hired for. Uh -huh. But I thought, well, I can start in acute care and hopefully I can work my way over to hand therapy. And that's exactly what happened. I offered to cover or help the hand therapist anytime she was too busy, um, begged for time over there, spent time observing on days off and just really tried to soak up as much as I could. So I got hooked. <laughs> but that was my opportunity to have, I would say, more exposure to hand therapy. We worked with a local plastic surgeon, um, got exposed a little bit to surgeons. Mm -hmm. I worked as a traveler for a little bit after that job, um, but then took a job with Kleinert & Coots in Kentucky, um, which is a very large hand center. I had the privilege of working with Dr. Kleinert before he retired. Um, and worked awesome. with really awesome. great um, therapists and surgeons there. So that was my exposure, my really cutting my teeth as a hand therapist and being exposed to big trauma and good hand therapy and a, a really wide variety caseload. I still worked in a skilled nursing facility on the weekends to pay off my student loans. It was, you know, three to five years out of school and kept thinking, oh, I don't want to get too deep into hand therapy and lose all my other skills. <laughs> but um, I did get the student loans paid off eventually. I know people have much higher burdens now, um, but it, it was a way to still work in other areas. Mm -hmm. So that was, um, took me up until about the time I became a CHT. I was there for a couple more years in Louisville and, and um, eventually realized I was never leaving hand therapy. <laughs> um, and now I'm in deep enough that I'm probably not doing anything else. So from there, did you start independent practice or did you have some other positions before you went out on your own? What was the, what was your next steps? I was a bit of a nomad. <laughs> I stayed in Louisville cause I had worked as a traveler, um, Home home was Minnesota. I worked in Kentucky. I ended up staying there for about four years. Um, then worked in Alaska um, in Anchorage with an awesome group of people there. Wanted to get back to mountains. <laughs> um, I had enjoyed my time in Colorado. Um, and then eventually moved to Washington State. I took a job here working with a group of surgeons and hand therapists as the director of hand therapy. So I managed a larger group. We had three different clinics and got to learn more about the management of hand therapy services and employing hand therapists and support staff in that position. And I did that for seven years before I started out in private practice um, and then started the private practice in 2011. Great history. I, I love all the variation of the positions you've had really a, a, an interesting background and, and a great way to learn a, a lot of techniques and some of the management stuff and, and then just go for it. And just go for it. <laughs> um, that was 2011. So the clinic is nine years old. It's a pretty classic. Um, my clinic is called Hands for Living. 
and um, we're a suburban hand therapy clinic. There are seven of us um, that work there, seven hand therapists, and um, it's a great group. It's, um, well, six CHTs and an OT assistant. I'm sorry, five CHTs. We have an, a younger occupational therapist who is working towards certification and an awesome occupational therapy assistant um, in the group. So it's a, a wonderful group. So how long does it take to grow a business to that size? That's a very large practice. It's, um, it has grown. I initially, my initial vision was for a very small clinic. I literally wanted, because I had managed three clinics and worked with a lot of other staff, I, um, I just, I, I honestly wanted just a place for one specific therapist, my colleague, Lori, who still works with me. I just wanted a place for Lori and I to work mm-hmm. <laughs> where we didn't have any of the um, background noise of working in a larger facility. I just, we just wanted to take really good care of our patients. And um, so that was my goal. And I deliberately kept it that way for the first, um, from 2011 until 2017. And um, I had another, we had another therapist that started with us at that point, the clinic had grown some, but in 2017, I made a deliberate decision to try to go grow the practice. I had gone through a divorce um, and had to reconsider everything mm-hmm. um, and, and made a deliberate, up until that point, the clinic had been a second income. We, were, we both worked, you know, I was married at the time and we both worked. And so it was a second income, but post-divorce, I knew that I had to depend on it and it needed to be stronger than it was um, for that to happen. So most of the growth has been in the last three years. Intentionally, as you mentioned. that you mm-hmm, Intentionally. Just... We do take really good care of patients and um, we don't have a specific hand surgeon who feeds us directly. Uh, we work with a lot of different hand sur- surgeons from the area. Um, and that makes it fun and interesting. We really are, you know, independent and can can do things um, that are in the interest of the patient. That's really the top priority. But it was intentional, is intentional. We have a little bit of room to grow yet in our current location. Um, and I do want to make that happen. But I have shifted my own role to also work with other therapists outside of our clinic, um, doing teaching, training and mentoring, coaching and mentoring for other therapists as well. Um, So my intention is that the clinic continues to grow. I still currently practice in the clinic um, a couple days a week and um, I'm not ready to give that up completely yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I love the diversification that you provided so that you could have a very amount of revenue streams coming in so that you weren't the sole one with you and your initial partner uh, with the revenues, then you add additional partners to bring them in and grow your business. And then, and then even further by adding different techniques by not just doing patient care, but having another altered stream of revenue. So that's very helpful for people to understand to have a diversification in their, in their basically in their portfolio so that you're not simply relying on one revenue stream, which kind of goes to now the the current state of affairs with the COVID-19. I'm sure it affected you significantly. I'd like to hear what you had to do to switch gears 
and how having that diversification has enabled you to make it through. I think um, diversification is an important aspect. Um, that is one of the things that I have loved the most about being an independent practitioner. Um, we were, we've never been completely dependent on one surgeon or one group of surgeons. Those things are um, uh, fickle, has a negative connotation, but they change. They move and change. People uh, change areas. Um, people move cities. Um, the groups, uh, you know, administration and the physician groups change. So by working with a lot of different surgeons and a lot of community partners with um, family practice physicians, with chiropractors, with other physical therapists, with other um, naturopaths, we work with a lot of different people. So there, there's that aspect. The other thing that has been impressed on me recently in terms of diversification is just working with our own or existing client base and and offering and communicating with them directly. And so we've put more effort into communicating with our patients, asking for referrals from their friends and family, as well as treating patients. You know, I've taken care of patients in the area for 16 years. And so I have a number of people who know me and keep coming back because they either have a new problem <laughs> or are managing something that's chronic and long-term. So, um, and then we had, in part of my efforts last year, Inten again, intentionally diversifying, I had started doing telehealth uh, last year before COVID um, because not everybody can get to our immediate clinic in the suburban area where we live. Traffic is not that awesome. Um, people have commitments at home for all the reasons that we now people understand and know and love because of COVID. We've all gotten a crash course in telehealth. Um, but I had started doing it for all of those reasons that it's convenient and it's a way to connect with people that without having them come in the office. Um, so I had added telehealth anyway. Mm -hmm. And then the coaching was because I, I do get asked often about how did you do this? How does it work? Could I do it? Is it possible? How did you become an entrepreneur? Um, how is that different? Do you need a gazillion dollars to start a clinic? <laughs> um, I get asked about those things a lot. So I am interested in helping people navigate that because you truly can do it <laughs> if you have a, have a desire. What are the so steps that, that you that you have to take when you initially think you've been working at some hand clinics like you were and you're learning and you're in some management and you've worked direct with surgeons and then you've worked at other clinics where you're working with a, a, an array of people from different backgrounds and you just really know you want to have your own practice. Where do they even start? What are the steps somebody would need to just initially determine that, yes, I should start this and, and this is a good area even and what they do, what is, what's, what are the first steps? Um, truly the first step is to decide that it's something that you want to do. Um, and that is, and you will never know for certain if it's the right idea or not before you decide, you have to just decide, literally start. <laughs> um, and you, you, you can do it. it. It is a different skill set than being a therapist. I think I do think people in the clinic are frustrated for very valid reasons. Mm -hmm. um, the work that we do is 
awesome. I still love being a hand therapist. It's totally cool. I still love splinting, making custom orthoses. I still love it. Um, but to do it day in, day out for another 25 years is maybe not possible. Um, I was interested in entrepreneurship for flexibility. And so that was one of the things at the time we were considering having kids. I wanted the flexibility to be able to schedule my patients as I um, needed to, to support my life, um, as well as to be, I, I love what we do. I also love taking vacations <laughs> and I wanted to be able to do that as well. So I really, that was my primary motivator at the time was flexibility. I didn't, I don't mind working hard. I love working I, hard. I love being creative, but, um, I wanted some flexibility and people don't necessarily get that in our standard clinical job. You're seeing, you know, your schedule's the same potentially week to week for years on end, um, the, we invest a ton in our patients. We are trying to keep the insurance happy, trying to keep the referral source happy, trying to keep your coworkers, your boss happy. It feels like there's a lot of demands. The documentation requirements go up and up and up. Um, the reimbursement is static or declining. Um, so salaries are um, difficult. So um, I think people are definitely frustrated when you reach a breaking point and there often is an event that triggers people to say, I'm ready to decide. There was a clear breaking point at my old job that um, literally one day I was like, my work here is done. <laughs> and I thought, I don't, I don't know what the next step is, but I have to do something different. Mm -hmm. I made a list of all of my options with private practice being one of them. I crossed off all of the other options when I really truly investigated or thought about them. I thought I could work here. I could work there. I could be a traveler again. I could do contract work I, for various reasons. I eliminated all of them, but make, but private practice and um, getting a graduate degree. So like any good German, uh, my <laughs> family heritage is German, like any good German, I decided to do both <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> But it gave me the flexibility to start the clinic. But truly, that decision is the first step. When you make the decision, there's a saying, and I don't know where it comes from, but the universe conspires to support you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you will find a way. Nobody's way is the same. Um, you don't know what the way is before you start. You have to just start. And that is the way of being an entrepreneur is you start. Just keep taking the next step. With my decision... Um, I had a funny experience literally one week after I decided to go out on my own, a local colleague called me and said, Hey, do you know anybody that, um, is interested in used hand therapy equipment? <laughs> and I, I almost burst out laughing, but I, I was at work at my old job. And I said, you know, um, I might have a lead for you, but, um, can I call you later? <laughs> yeah. And so I called her later and I said, that is so funny. I mean, literally, that's the only time in 25 years that anybody has ever made that call. How did that happen one week after I decided to do my own thing? Things just work out. <laughs> um, so I, it was a clinic that had decided not to do hand therapy anymore and they just wanted the stuff gone. I loaded it up in the car. They wanted to sell it as a lot. I loaded it up and stored it in the house here until I... Um, until I had a place for it, which was not immediate. <laughs> so that's one step, make a decision. That's, um, that's a great point about just deciding that you, you think about it, you think about it, you think about it, but until you make a decision, 
You're just going to keep thinking about it. And you will go in circles. <laughs> you can, you can, it, it is not always logical, <laughs> right? You can, um, you can make all the pro and cons, con lists you want. You can talk to everybody possible and that's super helpful, but at some point you have to decide. So I would say that's step one. Mm-hmm. Uh, step two is how on earth are you going to fund the thing and support yourself in the meantime? <laughs> yeah, that was my next big question because people always say, do you have to be rich to start your own business? I would say no, <laughs> um, but those, but you do need to have a plan and have some sense of how that is going to work out. Um, because uh, most of us, most of us need a roof over our head. All of us need to eat, um, and so there has to be some way of ensuring your basic survival until the point where your business can start to pay you. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, I was married at the time and we both worked. So um, I knew that even if the thing didn't never got off the ground, I wasn't going to live on the street or go hungry. Um, and that was a beautiful support system. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an agreement that uh, I, ha- I had I created two scenarios with spreadsheets Um to try to make a guess. And even those spreadsheets and forecasts, they're a guess. You don't know how it's going to work out exactly. But the for, the one forecast was what's break even here. I am not going to pay office rent out of the grocery budget. That was not acceptable to us. How many patients do I have to see so that I can pay all of the expenses of the business? That was That was my basic scenario whereby I had to, I had to be confident that I could make that happen (laughs) because I didn't want to, I'm allergic to debt. (laughs) I don't like to go into debt. Mm -hmm. Um, The second scenario, it was uh, how many patients would I need to see for it to actually make sense to do this, to be worth the effort that you put in to starting something because the, the effort up front is not insignificant. Yeah. Um, So with those two scenarios in mind, I was able to guess at how long it would be until I started to earn some money. Um, In our case, we decided that we were willing to accept um, that I did not earn a salary initially um, until the business was able to pay me. And we had a time frame attached to that. I don't remember exactly what it was, Um, but I worked per diem. Uh, as soon as I could, I, I worked per diem while I was starting the clinic so that I still had some income coming in and it wasn't coming from the clinic, but we had decided that it was acceptable, that I did not take a salary from the business initially. That meant that we were able to, I was able to start the business with a $10,000 loan from the household savings account mm-hmm. to start the business. So I never took a loan other than our own savings funds. Um, but I had the luxury, which is not always the case of not taking a salary immediately. I think if you need to do that, you probably need a loan. Um, and that's, that is possible. If you have decent credit, you can, in a decent business plan, you can get a loan. But so step two is figuring out, you know, first is to decide. Second is you do have to have a plan for how you're going to fund the thing. Yeah. (laughs) Because 
it's a business. It's not a charity. Um, it need from, for my comfort level and my interest in doing it, the thing needed to pay its own bills. I don't think you need to be rich, but you probably need to be frugal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I was. <laughs> and you do need to have some startup funds. That's, that's a key point. Yep. I think you can't just go in and have a rent rent free facility unless you own something that you can utilize. Yep. And then that'd be great if you had an extra building on the side and you can start there, then you probably just need some equipment and marketing, a little bit of marketing to get going. I would guess that's important as well. Yeah, um, which actually alludes, and we did not pre-plan that, but that's a great prompt. My, I would say the third step is developing your audience and market focus. Who do you actually want to serve? Who, what kinds of patients do you anticipate seeing? These examples that I just gave are um, the idea of what we, most of us think of as a traditional hand therapy clinic. This is a brick and mortar business mm -hmm. where I did need a physical location. That is not true of all businesses. You, you can start online businesses without much in the way of capital. Um, but in this case, I was planning on a traditional brick and mortar hand therapy practice that accepted insurance, which meant that the money coming in was also not going to be immediate. And so I did need a, a, a some funding to fund the runway to, to cover the gap from the time that I started spending until I started earning from the business. But that that's the third step is who are you going to serve? Um, and uh, what connections do you have? I Because I had been in the area already for a while, I had good connections with the surgeons at my old job um, and as well as some others in the area. So my initial marketing plan was sending out about five emails <laughs> because just letting them know what I was doing. So I had an instant referral base, um, even though they had therapists that were working in their office, they still sent me stuff. So that wasn't considered a conflict of interest by that practice? No there, was a, no, there was a gap. I did not go immediately. I did not work for a while. I was working on my graduate program and figuring out how to start the business. Um, so I was not, um, there, there was a gap in time there. There's like, not, a, not only a gap, sometimes it's also you could offer private and maybe they don't, or you offer certain insurances that they don't. So I always feel like there's more than one player that can play in the same sandbox and you can do okay. Yes. yes. And there's the location for a brick and mortar, true traditional business. There's the um, location. I was not in their immediate service area. So I took care of people that did not, were not immediately close to their clinic. Um, they sent me complicated stuff that they just wanted me to see that they weren't confident um, in the in whatever the patient's alternative was. If they were going out to a community therapist and it was somebody that didn't specialize in hands, they would encourage them to come see me um, or see the therapist in their clinic. But. So what would you say are some of the largest mistakes you've made? Those I always learn a lot from my mistakes and I've made plenty of them. And it's always great to learn from people from the things that they did not to the, not, and didn't get the outcomes that they wanted. So just curious, what are some of your greatest learning curves? 
I have a um, I have a long list of those. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other important thing to know. You will make mistakes. Um, you, you know, you will make mistakes. And so um, I would say the biggest mistake that I see people making is not starting. So I did not make that mistake. I did jump. I probably, possibly, maybe could have started sooner had I been confident, um, but it just wasn't ready. I did turn it over in my mind for a long time before I decided to jump. But the top one would be not starting. Um, I think not totally understanding the amount of effort involved in starting something from scratch can be, a, it, I would say, more double-edged sword, sword than mistake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I like um, how much time everything actually takes when you really... Everything takes longer than you think it should. <laughs> everything. <laughs> um, but maybe that's a blessing because truly, if you if you totally understood and could see everything, maybe people wouldn't do things. Um, and that would be disappointing because I do believe that entrepreneurs are creative and serve people in ways that, um, you don't when you're an employee. Um, so I'm touching on the small ones first. Uh, (laughs) the other one is, I would say is boosting Facebook posts. (laughs) Don't pay money to boost Facebook posts. Don't do that. Good one. <laughs> uh, that's just a don- donate to Facebook button on there and doesn't actually produce results for you that you need. You can run Facebook ads with a plan, um, but there's uh, a tremendous amount of thought and insight that's worth going into that. And then it is worth paying Facebook for advertising, but that is different than boosting an individual post. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've, would maybe other people would say differently, but I do not believe that that produces results. I haven't noticed great results myself. I play around here and there with different things just to see what happens. And that definitely hasn't been on my, Ooh, let's do that again list. So I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> You can run Facebook ads and there's very specific ways to do that. And you can, you can, that can produce results, but just boosting, boosting an individual post, you might as well um, take a lighter to your dollar bill. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so two other ones that are bigger dollar ones than that. Uh, one is I probably, let's see, am I willing to say this? I'm not sure this is entirely accurate, but there's a chance I wasted about $50,000 a couple of years ago when I moved the clinic within the same complex from one suite to a different one, I agreed with the landlord to um, that they would make a fixed contribution to the cost of the build out for the new clinic. I had three good data points regarding what I thought that build out was going to cost and the landlord agreed to pay what we thought it was going to cost. So I thought that was a great arrangement. That way I got to manage the build out and decide how, you know, design and build the facility as I wanted to um, until I actually got full estimates from the contractors and found out that the lowest of the estimates that I got was $50,000 higher than what we thought it was going to cost. And I thought I had very good information from three different sources that were all in the same ballpark. So 
had I known that, I might have made my arrangement with the landlord differently. The I would say commercial leases are a quagmire of um, potential mistakes or potential benefits. There are many, many different ways that those arrangements can be designed and funded and um, portioned. So I, I used a, um, a business space advocate, a person, a tenant advocate who worked with me to help me design the, the two leases. And I'm very thankful. This, this little situation, even with professional advice, we both thought it was a good arrangement. Yeah. <laughs> we just drastically underestimated the cost of the the constructions. But I had already signed the lease. Construction had to happen. Um, you pay the bill and you move on. <laughs> so it's over seven years. So uh, a seven year over a seven year lease. It's still a pretty expensive mistake. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, but things happen. I, that is not that is not what happened with my first lease. My first lease was beautiful. <laughs> um, they gave me a lease with an an out clause after eighteen months, so wow. I had a three year lease yeah. initially. I was able to negotiate in the initial lease to say that after eighteen months, if I decided to terminate the lease, I could just pay a few months' rent and get out of it. Um, that is not super common in hot markets. It um, is apparently possible in a recession. (laughs) So you keep learning all different kinds of things (laughs) about things that we did not learn about commercial leases in OT school. These are all things you learn after the fact. (laughs) Right. And that was, that leads me right to what books or resources do you recommend somebody who's like teetering with making the decision? I'm going to say yes and do it. What resources or books would you recommend somebody dive into? Uh, there are many, (laughs) um, and I keep finding good ones. Um, the, one of the things I did do, and this is a shameless plug, but, um, I can help you. (laughs) I'm happy to talk with therapists about, um, about businesses, different kinds of businesses. One of the things I want to back up just one second. One of the other things that I wanted to mention in terms of starting was research. You had asked about research, um, ways to research. And I would say one of the things to research first is um, what type of business do you want to build? You can build a brick and mortar hand therapy clinic like I did. You can start a telehealth business where you see people only online, where you don't need the facility. Um, you can start a a business where you, uh, design, make, and sell a product and your product can be either a physical product that somebody buys from you and you mail to them. It can be education product, your products. Um, you have, um, been a pioneer in that area and offered training things online, but, but I think that's one of the first decisions that decision is, um, there's many facets to that decision. And I don't know that there's a comprehensive reference at this point to say, to help you point in one direction or the other. There are um, pros and cons for each of those. And I'm not um, saying that lightly. If you're um, interested, I did make a startup checklist that can help people if they want to look at a checklist and look at some of the tasks that you actually do in starting a business. And I will make that available on my website which is joannekeller.com. It's J-O-A-N-N, K 
keller, K-E-L-L-E-R.com forward slash biz checklist, B-I-Z checklist. Um, So that is one resource. You can get a sense of kind of what you're signing up for in terms of tasks. Uh, We talked about marketing. Uh, The Dan Kennedy series for marketing is amazing. He has a whole book, group of books called the No BS series. Um, BS likely standing for the obvious, (laughs) but they're about marketing and all different kinds of direct to consumer marketing. And I would say if you're planning to start a telehealth practice, you need to read um, Dan Kennedy because you likely need to figure out what audience you're planning to serve, how you're going to get the message to them and how you're going to um, actually turn them from somebody who's interested into a customer. How do they become your customer and how do they decide what they need from you? His um, materials are excellent. Everything is good. Um, He has since passed away, I believe. Um, So there may not be a current podcast. There may be old podcast material. And certainly every marketer um, has likely heard of him, referenced him, or um, been involved in some of those things. One other fun thing, um, well, there are any number of Facebook groups. There are occupational therapy, entrepreneur um, Facebook groups. Um, I made a Facebook group called Hand Therapy Link. Um, So there's a Facebook group called Hand Therapy Link. There are other ones for every type. Um, I've had a lot of fun over the last year watching Kara Welke, um, who has Next Level Occupational Therapy. She's been, she's literally gone from being an, uh, an educator in an OT assistant program to being <laughs> a dynamite entrepreneur. So it's been really fun to see her journey. She started her group, Next Level OT, but there is a ton of resources in her community as well. Um, <clears throat> and there are others. And then um, th- those are some things that can help you think about different kinds of businesses. And then working with a business coach is, can be super helpful. I've worked with a coach since uh, 2015, and that really helped me focus the, my vision for this change in my business from it being a small, tiny (laughs) micro practice um, to being a larger practice and being able to serve other people in different ways great information. And we will definitely put together an info sheet for everybody with all that you shared. So in case anybody missed anything on the business checklist and, and Kara and Dan and all those resources will. So if anyone missed any of them, send an email to info at handtherapy.com and we will make sure you get the summary with all that and how to get in touch with Joanne because she does business coaching. So she would be a great resource for you if you are on the ready to make the decision stage on how to get get to that next level. So we're delighted to have her here with us today. We could go on for a long, long time about a whole bunch of other topics, and we will probably have to bring her back again because she's got a bunch of stuff that that I really want to review, um, but we're limited on time. So I wanted to thank you again, Joanne, for spending so much time with us and giving us your insights and sharing with us what you've done with this amazing business. And it's, I just love the fact too, that you had already done the telehealth before this whole COVID. It's, it's kind of eerie in its own way. It's kind of like the whole thing that happened with the, with the people calling you the week before you were like, 
going to buy all that hand therapy stuff. And there it was. So you you kind of have some type of ability um, to connect with the universe in a wonderful way. I truly think everybody has that. If you listen to call it your inner voice, call it your inner coach, trust your intuition, trust your gut, listen to look around you. I, I, I don't think that's unique. We're hand therapists. We listen to tiny clues from our patients all the time. So just trust yourself and listen to those clues too. I think it was more that than anything is thinking about what I would want or what I would need and trying to offer that for other people. Right. That'd be, but between that and then the whole, oh, I started telehealth six months before this happened and there it was. And you were on the cutting edge of that. There wasn't that, you know, there's people doing the telehealth, but you were definitely a pioneer and we have learned so much from you today and look forward to continuing to learning and grow with you and your company. Thank you so much. It's been a fun journey. I have to say that being an entrepreneur is as creative as being a hand therapist. And, and it, I, as much as I love still seeing patients and being creative clinically, um, it, it scratches a different part of your brain. It's a different kind of being creative. And I think there are lots of hand therapists that could do it and can do it beautifully, um, but it's not what we're trained to do. So, but be willing to learn. And I guess I love learning new things and love learning how other things work. So it's just, it's just different. That's all. You can still do it. <laughs> Really cool. Well, thanks again. And we will, again, everybody who didn't hear one of those great tips and stuff, we're going to put an info sheet together. And thank you again for your time. And we look forward to talking to you again real soon about a whole bunch of other stuff. (laughs) You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm always happy to talk with other therapists and have enjoyed visiting with you today. Thank you to everyone for listening and for all your amazing emails you send in. It really is appreciated. Please send an email at info at treatment to go if you'd like the summary sheet from today, or if you just want to say hello to us. We have been super busy behind the scenes. We are developing our new websites that should be launched very soon. And we will continue to bring you high quality, amazing courses. Thank you for listening to Hand Therapy Heroes. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Visit handtherapy.com and register for our newsletter containing free content and courses about our fascinating hands. Hold hands today for a more functional tomorrow.